those who don't know me, I'm Chad Groff. I'm the high school pastor here at Living Hope. I have the opportunity to lead a, a great group of students and leaders. Christmas has passed, right? Our neighborhoods are going to start a little darker as people start to put their Christmas stuff away. And for some of you, you're relieved. All the preparation, all the stress, all the go, go, go. It's past. Now you're just hoping for spring to come. For some of you, you're sad because Christmas was great and you might have to go back to school soon. All the high schoolers are like, really? He starts by immediately mentioning school. Some of you are heavy-hearted because Christmas was... It was different this year. Maybe it was difficult this year. It was kind of quiet this year. It, was, it felt strange in a different way this year. For some of you, you were humbled at Christmas as you, as you looked on, on Pinterest or, or the, one of the TV shows. You're like, I can do that. I can make that. There's a, a post that maybe laugh one of our members posted on Facebook. They posted the, the picture of the gingerbread house with the artist's icing and the candy just placed perfectly and it looked beautiful. And then next to it was their gingerbread house. The roof was coming off. The icing was dripping. Clearly the husband was allowed to be involved because it was not close to perfect and the candy were, and the kids were starting to eat the candy off already. It was just, just not the same. Hopefully they had a, they had a good time with it. And so the question that we want to look at this morning is, so Christmas is, is over, the gifts have been received, so now what? This December as a church, we, we looked into Matthew chapter 2, we looked at the gifts of the Magi, that they brought gold to, to talk about and to symbolize the, the kingship of Christ. They brought frankincense to, to talk about his, his priestly ministry. They brought murder to, to speak of his sacrifice. And so the question for us is, how do we react to that? What do we do with that? We first need to understand that we are broken and that we need a Savior and that, that Christmas is good, but Christmas was necessary because of our brokenness, because of our sin, because of our need for Christ, and our hope is in Jesus himself. And the good news of Christianity is that despite our brokenness, that there's hope, that hope is in Jesus. Because of his life and his death, we can live, we can have life. Conquered sin and death by living the life he needed to live and paid the penalty of our sin to, to pay for our sin and to appease the, the wrath of, of God. And we then must accept that gift and become a child of God. And when we do this, the Holy Spirit comes in us and gives us the power to live a life that is, is pleasing to God. Every other faith system says, look, you need to do this in order to be accepted by God. But Christianity says, no, you can't do anything to be accepted by God. You accept the gift of salvation that He provides, and then you live a life of obedience out of the salvation that you are to receive. Salvation is a gift, a gift of a king, a gift of a priest, a gift of a sacrifice. 
if you've not made that step of accepting that gift of salvation, that is your first step. That is your needed step today. And if you're here and you've not yet come to a place of understanding what that means for you, I'll be here after the service. There'll be some elders over here. We would love to talk with you. We would love to, to pray with you. And so, what do we do when we've received those gifts? We've, we've taken them and, and we're like, what? We're going to look at a great passage this morning, one of my favorite passages, um, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to, to 5. My son Ethan is going to come and, and read, so stand with us and, and in honor of, of God's Word as he, as he reads. Romans 12, 1 through 5. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are only one body in Christ, and individually members of another. Thank you. Right, you guys can grab a seat. So in, uh, in Romans, Paul is writing his most complete explanation and, and defense of the, of the gospel. In the first 11 chapters, he explains that we're saved through faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That we're new creations because of the Holy Spirit within us, and we now have life and purpose and right standing as a result of the death and resurrection of Jesus when we accept this, this gift of salvation. And so, beginning in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, he gives the practical implications of the gospel. He answers the question that every student sitting in class asks. Do we have to know this? Is this going to be on the test? And then most importantly, will I ever use this in real life? Well, the answer is yes. This is vital. This tells us what to do and to be as believers. He begins with an appeal. He says, I appeal to you. I urge you. He points out something important here. He points out that we have a free will. We can choose to obey Him or choose to reject Him. He's urging us. Our Heavenly Father is saying, look, I know more than you do. I know better than you. I'm urging you to make the right choice. Trust me. He's the one who is eternal. He was before everything. He'll be here after everything. We have this this 70-ish time, years of, of time on, on earth. He's all-knowing. He could walk through this auditorium this morning and say, this is what you're thinking. This is what's going on. We won't do that. That would be freaky and scary for everyone to know. But he knows. When we pray, when we talk to him, he's not learning any new information. He's like, wow, really? I didn't know that. He knows. We have a, a limited perspective. He's sovereign and in control of all things. We're limited. We can't control much. And so he knows best and he urges us to obey his ways. 
His appeal is in light of the mercies of God. So I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Recognize that the coming of Jesus is the most merciful act in the history of the world. God Himself, the God of the universe, taking on flesh and coming to earth in order to save us is the most merciful thing that has ever happened. And so he said, look, in light of God's mercies, in light of, of His mercies, this is what I urge you to do. We're going to look at three things this morning. The first one is, we need to respond to Him with bodies that worship God. We are to present our bodies for worship as a living sacrifice. Now, living sacrifices are two words that don't generally go together. When we, when we think of sacrifice, we think of someone who gives himself up for, for others. We might think of, of uh, Dave Sanders was a teacher at Columbine who saved many students and ended up giving his life to save many of them. In baseball, a sacrifice is an intentional act by a batter to give to make it out in order to advance his teammate for the betterment of the team. In the Old Testament, an animal was killed and burned on the altar to cover over the sin of people to be a sacrifice for them. Jesus ultimately fulfills that and is the fulfillment of that promise. So when we think of sacrifice, we think of dead. But yet, he's saying, be a living sacrifice. We are not to die on a pile of rocks, but to live in such a way as to love God and give Him glory by doing what He commands and trusting God for our life's direction. A living sacrifice is alive to Christ rather than dead to sin. It means that our identity is to be a child of God, of the King not to be captive to sin. We are not helpless to sin. We can be alive to, to God. We are His child and we have the Spirit at work within us. Worship means to, to sacrifice, to willingly lay down our own preferences, our own ideas for His. I remember um, a time that this really became true for me when I was in when I was in college, I went into college with a plan, my plan, of what I was going to do with my life. It was very laid out. It was orderly. I knew what it was. During that first year, God invaded my plan, changed my plan, and called me to vocational ministry. And the, that call led to subsequent steps that determined the direction of my life. And it's meant great sacrifice, but great joy. It's meant experiencing trials, but also experiencing the, the joyful presence of God. And serving Jesus has been an incredible experience that I wouldn't trade for anything. But worship is following after His way and His direction. And that's the call for each one of us. For each one of us, there's a, there's a call to follow Christ for salvation. But there's also a call to follow him in obedience in the steps that he has ordered for our life. I'm, uh, I'm meeting with a few young men right now who are sensing a call to ministry, to, to follow God's call. They're not really sure what it looks like, where God is calling them to serve. Is it to preach or to counsel or to, to do student ministry or children? What, what, that, what that looks like. 
they don't really know. But that's part of the part of the joy is helping them understand and helping them seek after the Lord and have Him answer that question for them of where He is calling them and what the direction of their life looks like. They're living sacrifices. Living sacrifices are called to be holy and therefore accepting acceptable to God. Now when you read that you go, wait, I'm supposed to be holy, I'm supposed to be supposed to be perfect. No. We are not perfect, but rather we are forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus. And we live for him rather than for, for ourselves. Recognize that the process of becoming holy is a process. At the moment of salvation, we are we are justified. We our account is made right before God. We are seen by God the Father as holy and right because as He sees us, we're in Christ, we're in Jesus. So we're we're seen as perfect. Throughout our life, as, as we grow, as we learn to walk in obedience, as we, we understand Him and, and make our faith operational, we're, we're sanctified. We become more holy through the process of following Jesus. But that's not finished and that's not perfected until heaven when we are glorified and we are made fully holy. So know as living sacrifices that we are seen as holy we are becoming holy, and we will be holy. The problem with a living sacrifice is that a living sacrifice can keep climbing off the altar. A dead one doesn't move, but a living sacrifice continues to, to climb off the altar, and we are to, to continually obey, continually to submit ourselves to Him. This obedience is, is worship. When we hear worship, we think, oh, that's the music on Sunday morning that the band does. And that's part of it, yes. But, but worship is a, is a full-body experience. Worship is a, is a digging, cleaning out the gutters of, of one of our seniors. Worship is greeting a new person on a, a Sunday morning and caring for them and inviting them to, to become part of your community in, in a small group. Worship is, is shepherding a, a middle school girl or guy. Worship is praying for lost neighbors and co-workers and looking for opportunities to talk about Christ and share the hope of the gospel with them. Worship is serving people in the name of Jesus. Worship is obeying God's ways and God's word when no one else is doing it. Engaging our whole body in worship. God gave us our whole body to worship Him. In order for us to do this, our minds need to be set on God. Our minds need to be set in a place where we can where we can follow after Him. The second thing we need to do in response to to the gifts of God is to have minds that discern the will of God. It says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may be able to discern what the will of God is." what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Verse 2 draws this parallel. It says, don't be conformed, but be transformed. We are not to be conformed to the ways of this world. We're not to be, be pulled into its, its shape. We are to be transformed. To be conformed kind of means to fit into the mold. When you, when you go to Target, all the employees are in the same mold. It's khaki pants and a red shirt. You just know it. 
When you go to Chick-fil-A, you know that there's going to be this incessant saying of my pleasure. You just know it. Sorry to remind you about Chick-fil-A on a Sunday. My daughter will be like, he mentioned Chick-fil-A, and now he's not going to give it to me. Sorry. We're under pressure to conform to sin. It's a, it's a battle. It's a battle that we wage on a, on a daily basis. We, we battle Satan, the great tempter who tempted Christ. And, and with, his, with his demons are, are tempting us to, to follow after sin. The world and its ways are opposed to the ways of Christ. And it's seeking to, to mold us into its image. And if that wasn't bad enough, that everything is out there is sensing to, to squeeze us into its image. Even within ourselves, our own desires, we desire sin rather than, than righteousness. And so our flesh and the devil and the world try to, try to mold us into the desires of the world rather than the desires of God. Evil has made a plan to, to change our minds. The battle is in our mind because we're slaves to our ideas. There's been a concerted effort that's begun many years ago to, to change our minds, to, to redefine truth, and it's touched the media, it's touched education and politics and many places of society to change our minds because we follow our ideas. The mission to redefine truth has, has taken hold to the point that we have to, to def, try to define every word. Even words that we thought, okay, I know what that word means. We have to uh, an effort to, to redefine that. Now words like tolerance and, and gender and family have, have been redefined. Tolerance has come to mean that we not only need to permit people to kind of believe what they want and, and tolerate their belief, but that we need to, to celebrate it and say, no, your truth is right as well as my truth. Even if they're, they're opposed to each other, and we can, can no longer have a healthy disagreement about an idea without being considered a hater. Gender used to be identified at birth or, or in a sonogram, but now many define gender in their own terms and rather than in the image of God. And many genders have been introduced over the past years, and, and there are dozens, and nothing can be considered a distortion because we define our own truth. Family used to mean a man and a woman and their children living in a home together. Now it can be defined however we want to define it. And these are all rebellions against the ways of God. Romans chapter 1, 22 to 24 speaks of humanity's rebellion against God. It says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their heart, to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves. God gave them over to their sin and allowed them to reap the results of it. I fear that in America this is what he's doing with us right now. On the other hand, the Holy Spirit transforms us by the renewing of our minds. Our minds, ourselves, are naturally selfish. It's just hardwired. You did not need to take your child and say, look, 
I'm going to train you how to be selfish, okay? I'm going to train you to think about yourself. We're just hardwired for it. If you don't believe me, make a friend, get married, have children, have a job, interact with anyone else, and you'll naturally learn very quickly. We are selfish, naturally selfish. Our minds need to be transformed into thinking like Jesus. This is where growth happens, as our minds are, are changed. We need to be fluent in the ways of God. To be, to be fluent in another language is to, is to be able to think in that language without continuing to go back to a native tongue. This is what I've been told. So I, I know English barely. And I've studied Spanish and Greek, but not enough to be fluent in any of them. I remember sitting in Spanish class and I all right, so that's what that says. This is what I think that means in English. And my response in English would be this. And so now I need to figure out how to say that. And so a lot of Spanish class was, how do I say this? You know, I wasn't, I wasn't fluent in that. But we need to become fluent in the ways of God so that we think in those terms and in those, in those ways. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and behold, the new has come. To be transformed, to be new in Christ, to think like him, to be fluent in his ways. At times, the, the grammar of a passage is helpful. So in, if you look in, in Romans 2.20, the word transform is in the present tense. And you're like, okay, why do I care? Let me tell you. The present tense means that it's a continual action. It's not once and done. Boom, I'm done. It's a continual thing. We need to continue to be transformed, continue to be changed, continue to be molded into the image of Christ because the world, our flesh, and Satan are not giving up. They're going to keep working to conform us into their image. We need to be about being transformed in a continual way. There's many things that take a continuing action. Your house might be clean for a moment, but it takes a continuing thing to keep it clean. Physical fitness. I cannot go to the gym once, have an amazing workout, and say, I am fit forever. Done. Check. Healthy eating. One good salad, one water, done. No, it's a continuing thing. Students, you know that you cannot ace the first test of the semester and be like, I'm good. I don't have to study anymore. I don't have to listen to that anymore, to that teacher, to that professor. I don't have to go to the study group. I'm done. I got my A. They might as well give me my degree. Where's my doctorate? I'm done. No. It's a continuing thing. It's a grind. I don't recommend that you tell your wife that, hey, I love you at your wedding, and then go, you know what, if it changes, I'll let you know. It's a continuing thing of nurturing a relationship. Being transformed takes continuing action, which is why it's essential that we develop a habit of being in God's Word and being in communication with God on a daily, moment-by-moment basis. 
1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray continually, be in this attitude of prayer continually. Being a living sacrifice means continuing to climb back on the altar after you climb off and run away. As our bodies are objects of worship and our minds are transformed, we, we then participate in the, the work of God. Verses 3 to 5, as, as we worship with the right mind, we think like God rather than the world, and we begin to participate in, in His mission rather than our own mission and our own agenda. Participating in the work of God means that our minds are set on Him rather than on us. And I want to make sure we get this, this continuing action. It's, it, these things are interwoven. Our, our worship, our, our minds being transformed, and our work in his, in his mission are not like, okay, we do this one, then we're done, then we can move on. These are interwoven. This is, is meshed together as we, as we work forward. And like any team in any organization, we as a body need to work together. Verse 4, for as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though, who are many, are one in body in Christ, individually members of one another. Paul uses this illustration of the human body to demonstrate how the work of Christ needs to be together. We need to work together, each doing a part. Think about the systems of your body, all that needs to happen in order for you to be able to breathe and to walk and to grow and to digest food and just the, the activity you had this morning of, of getting up and getting dressed and getting yourself ready. Many things were at work together. This is how the body should work together to do the work of the church. Each bring their gifts and their abilities because none of us have all of them. Just this morning, to, to put together the service took people of varying gifts and abilities and temperaments to be able to come together and do it well. Know what your gifts are. Discover them and serve within them. If you notice this morning, Jacob and the team led worship. I didn't. The people over here who were closed when I was singing, they understand why that is the case. Here at Living Home, we talk about making disciples, growing people into people who believe and think according to a, to a biblical worldview. And this means each doing our part, each at work together. In the high school ministry, we talk about disciples as culture shapers. We work to, to grow disciple makers and culture shapers. And this means understanding our place in the world and doing our parts. Recently, God has has blessed me to be able to see the work of the body together. There's been a couple different situations with, with students in which the gospel has needed applied in, in some specific ways, and, and it's given me an opportunity to work with many of you and to see how God has placed us in different places, some in, some in schools, some, in, some as counselors, some as um, and law enforcement, all these different things together. Some just had the right relationship. They lived in the right place. They knew somebody. They had a history with something. And they were able to, to be a part of the body working together to bring forth the gospel. And it's been a great blessing. I can tell you some stories of how God is at work in those, in those places. In places that each of us would go, man, I don't really know how we can do that well. No matter where God has planted you, 
He has a role for you to play. No matter what gifts He has given you, He has a role for you to play. No matter the experiences or the baggage that you're carrying, He has a role for you to play. This role is unique. It is needed. And God has given it to you specifically. Many of us have gifts from God that are still under the tree. You know, at Christmas, there's a gift, you know, you unwrap it, and you're like, oh, great. And you're not really sure what to do with it. So you just kind of put it back under the tree for a while. And then as you're cleaning it for Christmas, you're like, I don't really know what to do. You know, I'll just put it in the closet, or I'll put it in the garage, or I'll set it aside, or whatever. And then years later, you're, you're cleaning out, and you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot I had this. Here it is, all together, sealed in the box, unused. These gifts are needed. The gifts that God gives us are needed for the kingdom, for God's work, for His for His team. He's saying, look, open the box. Use the gifts. They're essential. And for some of us, that means we gotta, we got to try things. We need to experiment. The way that we learn if we're good at something sometimes is by doing it and maybe doing it poorly. So if you're not sure what you're good at and how God is good, you're like, begin to, to try some things. How do you know if you're good at, at the welcome ministry and greeting new people? Try it. How do you know if you're, if you're great with, with children or with students? Spend some time with them. Get involved. How do you know if you can teach? Try it. You'll see through the process, is God affirming that gift in you or is he leading you in a, in a different direction? Doing your part is going to require humility. Verse 3 talks about that, that we are each part of the body. Don't think of yourself too highly because you're essential, but so is everyone else, and working in tandem is the key. We've been given these gifts by God, and we need to respond to Him with our whole body, having our hearts transformed by the Holy Spirit, and doing our part of the kingdom of God. That's the response to the gifts that God gives. That's the biblical response. So let's use these gifts. Let's worship with our whole body. Let's be transformed in our thinking. Let's do the work of God together. Let's pray, and as, as the band comes, I encourage you to come and to, to pray and to, to go before the Lord and ask Him, what is He calling you to do in this new year? I know many of us are going to be spending time and thinking through, all right, what's this new year going to hold? Put that before the Lord and say, you've given me some things. You've given me much. What do you want me to do with what you've given to me? So let's, let's pray together. Lord God, Father, we're grateful for the ways that you have, have moved. We're thankful for the, for the things that you have given to us, Lord, for the, for the gifts, for the abilities, for the, for the experiences, for the relationships, the, the temperaments that you have, have given to us. God, you have responded in great mercy. God, Jesus coming to earth is the most merciful act of history. Father, help us to respond to you in worship with a mind that is, is not conformed, not shaped by this world, by our own desires, by what Satan would have us to do, but transformed into your 
bent into your ways, into your mind, that we would think the way that you think. God, help us to be part of your work, of your mission. Because, God, that's what we were created for. God, we pray, we ask that, that our lives would be caught up in your vision for our lives, for your vision of our existence and our time on this earth, Lord. God, we, we give ourselves to you for your vision and your vision alone. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.